your girl, KDT. Just want to holler at you for a minute before we start today's episode. First, I cannot believe it, but next month, you and I will have been sitting in this space for one year. It will be a year since we started In My Shoes. We'll be catching up with some of our guests to see what they've been doing since we, we launched this podcast. So I want you to stay tuned for that. As for today's episode, it's a conversation I had several, several weeks ago with a woman who was brave enough to come forward with her story of infertility. It's something that we don't talk about in the black community enough or in other communities of color. So I want you to listen with your hearts open. And for those of you who are going through it, know that you're not alone. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues we are facing every day, y'all. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. Have a great guest with me today. We met in a funny way interesting way yeah um, in a, a Facebook group right so yeah. I'm gonna have Stephanie Courtney introduce herself and we'll talk a little bit about why I asked her to be my guest today so hey Stephanie how are you I am so good I'm so excited to be here thank you so much for having me thank you tell the audience a little bit about yourself so um my name is Stephanie. I am actually in Washington State and I am a trainer. And so I recently went through a, a really unique process to where I'm at right now. But um, I've been a trainer for early childhood educators for over six years. Um, really just love talking about a lot of social justice issues within um, the field of early childhood education concerning children, educators, families, and community. And so I have been doing that for some time. Uh, my business is called The Learning Project. And The Learning Project is about um, learning about yourself to better your community. And so it started off just as a training business. And then I had jumped into um, podcasting and I just love talking to people and hearing their story. And I feel like stories bring healing to others. And so I was just like, you know what? I am going to kind of add a little bit here on the learning project and start interviewing people um, when it pertains to their story. Either it, it may be about leadership, professionalism. Um, my latest one that I'm working on right now is infertility, miscarriage, and pregnancy and adoption. And I have just been learning so much um, from this segment because I'm actually going through um, infertility treatments and going through so many different pieces in my life. And I've been going through infertility for over seven years. And so I wanted to share my journey. I finally felt comfortable enough to do that. And so that's kind of where I am right now in my life and, and how I am hoping to make a difference in my community. Thank you so much for that introduction. And so that leads me into how we met. So, you know, you guys know here at In My Shoes, we're all about storytelling as well. And we tell the stories of women of color on all sorts of issues. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in a space where writing is something that I love to do. And I think journaling is a great uh, way to just kind of record what's going on in your life, be able to look back, see where you were. And so, you know, we've created a couple of journals at In My Shoes. One is the self-care journal that we currently have on the market. And then we're kind of soft launching an adoption journey journal that I put out inspired by my own uh, journey, wishing that I had maybe recorded it a little bit more. And so I put a copy of it up on this group. I'm in on Facebook and said, hey, what do you guys think of this? Tell me what you think. And you were like, girl, <laughs> I have yes. never seen anything like that. And then yes. you started telling me about what you were doing and you were nice enough to ask me to be on your podcast. And I was like, you know, I have been putting together a segment as it relates to infertility and women of color, because I do think it's something we don't talk about enough. 
Absolutely. And so I was like, okay, girl, I'm going to be on yours and then you can be on mine. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> that's how we got to where we are today. So why don't you tell us, what, as, as much as you're comfortable with, what, what about your infer- infertility journey, what it's been like, what you've learned, um, uh, you know, how it all came about? Man, you know what? This is, you know, just starting to share this has been um, really healing for me because for those that have dealt with infertility, um, depending on your personality, um, it really depends on how you want to share it. And so for me, I covered up a lot of my infertility journey with lies. Um, I would always tell people, you know, I'm not going to have a kid until, you know, later on or, you know, two more years, two more of this, two more, you know, I would just try to push it out as much as possible. But um, I really felt um, as I've journeyed and just kind of reflected, I look back on my teenage years and I had um, signs of infertility issues then. Um, I had really bad migraine headaches. Um, my cycle was not consistent. I would go months without having a cycle. Um, I also um, would just chop that up to me being an athlete because I ran track. Um, I did basketball. I did a lot of little things and I love being active and I did step team as well. And so I was just like, you know what? It's because I'm so active. That's the reason why I don't have a a consistent cycle. Um, And then I went, you know, went through my high school years, um, met my husband, like my freshman year of high school uh, or college. And we have been together for a very long time. And my number one thing was don't get pregnant in high school (laughs) because that was like a number one conversation that all family members like, don't do, don't do this. Don't do that. So don't get pregnant in high school. Don't get pregnant in college. Get, you know, get your degree, get married, have a child. That's kind of the roadmap for me. And so I, um, got through college. Um, I got our first year of marriage. I was having a lot of problems with birth control. Um, my body was like, actually, like I could taste like the release of the birth control. It was so weird. Um, and then it was also causing me to have like different reactions in my body and my, I was just having like headaches. It was just crazy. And so um, my sisters were like, Stephanie, none of us could ever take birth control because it leads to like blood clots and all this other stuff. So I was just like, you know what? I'm married. I'm just going to get off of this. So I'm off of um, birth control and I was just like, you know what? If it happens, it happens. We're married. We should be fine. Um, years go by, nothing happens. Um, it's not until my niece, um, she was a teen mom and she got pregnant and it clicked to me, should it be that easy to get pregnant? And I just said to myself, okay, well, you know what, I'm going to go to my doctor and just make sure everything is good. So I go to my doctor and she says, well, how long have you been trying? And I was like, well, I haven't like I mean, I said, we haven't been doing anything to prevent it, but it's been like four years. And so she said, Stephanie, there's, there's probably an issue here. We need you to probably go see a specialist just to make sure. So, um, I go to, um, Seattle reproductive center, um, which is a location here I have in my town. And, um, I go there and I get diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And I will tell you this, anybody who has this diagnosis, it is one of the most frustrating diagnosis ever, because basically they're saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. You know, you should be having a baby. Um, They told me that I was in like in the 90 percentile to have a child on my own. Um, And they, but they said, 
also on the same breath, you're probably not going to be able to conceive on your own. So you need to, you need to use other methods. So we started down this journey of one being in shock because I was just like, this is crazy. I can't believe we're even having this conversation because no one of my family has ever talked about um, infertility. So I was literally the first one and that made me feel extremely odd. Um, my siblings all have children and, um, I'm the youngest. So we're like my oldest brother, he's like seven years apart from me. So their kids are basically grown. Um, and so I'm starting to have children at this point. And so one of the things that came to light for me during this was, um, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. You know, it'll probably happen next year. It just was like something that I was super positive about. Um, and I was just like, you know, we need to try more and we need to start, you know, tracking everything. And I'm very much a, um, apps person. I love any kind of data. Like I'm obsessed with that stuff. And so I decided to, um, start off with an Ava band. So for those that don't know what an Ava band is, it's something that you put around your wrist, you sleep with it at night and it records all this data about your breathing, about, um, your cycle, um, ovulation, sleep habits. I mean, it records a lot. And so I started off with that. And then I went and got me a thermometer and it's called Firmometer. And it also records data. So the temperature um, piece is huge because that helps you really make sure that you're confirming ovulation and when you're ovulating. Um, so you're looking at your body temperature. So you're having to do all this stuff. Um, and so I'm going into this world, starting to learn a little bit about these different resources to help you get pregnant. And I am just, we're just trying. I feel like I'm right on. I'm peeing on the little um, sticks all the time because I'm like, okay, maybe I don't know when I'm ovulating. So I'm just going to pee on it every day. So <laughs> that became a thing. And I started recording, 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 recording. And I just could not figure out my body. I did not know why my body um, was having such a hard time finding um, the cycle of ovulation. Um, I decided to go to an acupuncturist because I was reading some things about um, fertility because I was like, I'm going to try everything before I start doing all these fertility clinics and all this other stuff. So I go to the acupuncturist and um, shout out to the wellness tree in Spokane, Washington with Lauren. And I go into the wellness tree. She looks at my, she actually reads your tongue. So if anybody has been to an acupuncturist, it's actually really in interesting. Um, but she read my tongue and she checked my pulse and she was like, Stephanie, your stress level is insane. Wait, um, I'm sorry. I got to stop you. She, yeah. she read your tongue. Yes. So okay. this is the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That one, I was like, <laughs> I know. What? so I didn't know this, but if you actually stick your tongue out, your tongue actually changes colors and it has different coatings and like even the bumps, it actually is telling you what is wrong with your body or if, if you're lacking in something. It is the most interesting thing that I have ever experienced in my life. And so after she told me that, I was like, whoa, she was like, yeah, she said, you have to make sure that one, you um, are consistently um, tracking what's going on with your body. And a lot of people ignore those. And so the tongue is a way to actually look at what's wrong with you. 
And so she could tell that I was super stressed because um, my tongue had a lot of redness on it. And so um, we were just, you know, talking about what we needed to do. So I started this journey of acupuncture. She was like, honestly, I can't even get you pregnant until we deal with your stress. So um, I was a director at the time. I had 100 plus kids, plus, you know, parents and employees first year as a director working crazy hours. She was just like, I just need to get you de-stressed and then we can worry about the fertility later. We cannot even take it serious until we get this under control. And so that is something I learned too. You know, if you are trying to get pregnant and your environment, your body is not in a healthy space, you can't hold that baby. You know what I mean? Infertility becomes even 10 times more difficult at that point. Um, And so um, going to acupuncture every single Saturday made it a ritual, you know, Um, and that was really difficult because a lot of people would say, you know, well, why are you doing this? If it doesn't work in a couple months, why would you keep going? I said, because it's one, I need to be focusing on my body, not just trying to have a baby. Um, because if I am not healthy in general, I'm going to end up having a heart attack or something. And I always felt like I was having a panic attack or anxiety attack or something because I was so stressed out at work. And so, but again, I love stress. I love that work. I love being in a high paced kind of environment. And so I had to come to the conclusion of you need to figure out ways to take care of your body. So started to change my diet very, very uh, drastically. Um, I started going to acupuncture every week, um, started on Chinese herbs, um, started making some seriously healthy habits um, for myself. And for those that don't know, but you should definitely look into your your local community, see what your acupuncturist, um, who they are, are they available, what do they do? Because um, there's a lot of people that are acupuncturists that have written a lot of studies about how they've helped people get pregnant. Um, And I just wasn't sure if that would be a good fit for me. So, um, but it was. And so during my time, I actually um, was pregnant um, a couple times and um, I lost the babies. And that was really rough for me because I was like, I knew that acupuncture worked. I knew that um, there was something there that was missing and I wasn't sure. So um, during my journey, Um, In between um, some of my miscarriages, I started to work with Seattle Reproductive Center, and I just decided to say, you know what, let me just go and see what they offer. So the first thing they tell me, um, because I'm over 30 at this point, um, or close to 30, I guess I should say, they gave me some options, which was IUI or IVF. And I was like, okay, what's the difference? So IVF is $20,000 straight out the gate. Like you cannot, we will not start the process until we get all the money. So (laughs) my husband and I are looking at each other like, okay. Um, The second option was IUI, which is a vitro uterine infertilization where they take the sperm and they put it into your cervix. And then that, that sperm goes right near that egg. Now you would think like, oh, that, yeah, that's a guarantee. Um, but it actually is only like a 10 to 15% chance of actually working. So um, we were like, well, how much does that one cost? And they were like about $1,000. Um, but you have to buy your medications and stuff too. So we decided to do um, IUI um, at this point. 
And um, it didn't work the first time. It just, it did not work. And so I was just like, well, I'm going to be super positive and I'm just going to do it and it's going to be perfect. So we did it again. Um, It didn't work. And at this point now, I'm like upset. Like now I'm getting to the point where I'm questioning God um, because I, you know, went to church a lot and had that really close relationship with God. And people were like, you need to pray harder. You need to put your faith in da, 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 da. And I'm like, I'm doing the best I can right now with the situation that I have. Um, And I started just getting really upset. You know, I think at that point, I just, it just really hit me like, you're either going to be spending $20,000. And just to let people know too, IVF is not a guarantee. It's only a 40% chance of working. And you're putting your body through so much. Like I just literally didn't know if I could do that. Um, Before I started the IUI, you usually get a procedure called ATG where they um, basically check to see if you have any blockages in your tubes, your fallopian tubes. And, um, I went to, um, this clinic to do this procedure and the lady was like, Oh, it's like a pap smear. And I was like, okay, great. And I literally get this dye in my tubes, Karen. And I literally am screaming like this is most embarrassing thing ever, but I screamed so loud. I was in so much pain. My mom had went with me that morning because my husband had to go to work. And um, my mom stands up in the lobby because she can hear this whole thing. And she was like, you have two options. Either you go back there or I'm going back there right now. I need to know what's going on with her um, because it should not be hurting like that. And, you know, it was just, if one, I was embarrassed. And then two, I was in so much pain. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can put my body through this and, and be mentally sound. Right. And so that was my first experience with pain in my body Um, and not just anybody, a body that I didn't trust, you know, and I was losing respect for because I was going through all of this, this stuff, you know. Um, So fast forward to my second IUI, I just had to have the conversation with my husband, like, you know, what, I love you. And I want you to know that if you don't want to be with me because I can't have I possibly cannot have a biological child. I understand, you know, and that and what was, was what was that like to, to have that conversation with him? What it was hard. It was hard. It was so hard. But I love my husband so much. Like we're such like we we had a very strong friendship before we began dating. And I just had to tell him, like, I don't want you to re- resent this, you know, and I actually had been on tons of Facebook groups. You guys be careful with them groups. Be careful with them groups. <laughs> that was crazy. You. But um, I just had a lot of fa- uh, Facebook groups I was on and like people, their husbands were like leaving them. Like, and it was just like detrimental. And um, and then they would get with somebody else and they would have that person pregnant within like months. You know, I just didn't want that. And I was just like, Jason, I want you to know that if you don't want to be with me, it's okay. Like, I will not hate you for this. I would never want to take something away from you that um, you truly want, you know? And he just looked at me and he was just like, I would never leave you. He was like, I do not care if we cannot have a biological child. We can adopt. And my husband has definitely been more on um, adopting than I had. Um, At the time, I just wasn't prepared. 
And he was just like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And I was just like, I'm not ready. And I just felt like I was dealing with so many infertility issues and psychological issues that I just couldn't do that, you know? Um, But he really had to take a second and reassure me, like, we're in this together. This is not just you, you know? And I always felt like the infertility journey was me, you know? It's just me. Like, it's not even you. You're perfectly fine. And I'm the one that's having this issue. And so it was just difficult having that conversation, but I was ready for that conversation and I was ready for whatever, whatever he needed to say or was going to say. You know, it's interesting that you say you felt alone. Like one of the reasons I wanted to um, talk to a few uh, women of color about this issue is so often we do feel like it's it's almost like it's a badge of shame, right? Yeah. Like it's almost like it not being able to have a child means that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's great that your husband was able to, you know, really reassure you. But why do you think that is? And I don't think it, that is um, unique to women of color. I think in general, I think the problem is we you know, women don't talk about it, period. And then women of color are definitely hush hush about, you know, miscarriages, IVF, Mm -hmm. you know, even doing IVF, like in in, in communities of color, like you're going to do what? You know, it's Mm -hmm. almost like, yeah, we don't even talk about that type of stuff. Why do you think that is? And and why do you think you took on that, you know, badge of, you know, it's me and, and I'm something's wrong with me? Yeah, you know, I there's a couple things I've kind of found. Uh, one, religious purposes. I think some of the religious rhetoric that we use, and let me make this very clear. I am definitely a Christian, and I'm not bashing the Christian community. However, I fi- I'm finding interviewing a lot of women that are in religious communities, period. There are tons of stories that are linked to infertility and being cursed. And um, there is this rhetoric or this conversation of the reason why you can't have a baby is because you don't believe or your faith is not in it or, you know, um, the one that hurts the most, which may be true, is it's not God's will. You know what I mean? Um, It's really hard to hear those things when you see people who maybe not really want children or um, you know, they're abusing their body with their child in it, um, have a child. And it's kind of like you get to this point where you're like, why is that person have more favor than I do? And so I think it's for religious purposes. I also think it goes back to history. Um, there's a lot of shaming from black women or women of color, um, especially during slavery, you know, um, women that could not have children, they were treated very poorly, um, sometimes even killed or sold off because they were not considered um, valuable or commodity. Um, that is that is a piece of it. Um, I definitely think that there is a stigma around um, ever, you know, black women always getting pregnant out of wedlock or, you know, having babies here, having babies there. And then when you don't fit that stereotype, it's kind of like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you be able to have a baby? Um, and then also to the other part that I haven't really talked very much about, but, um, our chemicals that we use on our body and hair. Um, there's lots of studies right now that are being done 
for women of color, um, for example, perm, um, you know, there's a lot of movement right now going natural, but there's a lot of perm uh, conversation because a lot of those chemicals are not regulated. Um, they, um, are mixed in a certain way and they could be stronger or less strong depending on the box that you get. Um, I think that has a huge part to do with infertility and even just, um, some illnesses that black women, um, face. And I also believe that when we're looking at, um, feminine products, you know, uh, we're talking about tampons and pads, those, there's a huge movement going on right now where, there is a demand. You have to list what's in the pad and tampon. A lot of those pads and tampons, we don't know what actually goes in them and they do not have to list the chemicals that they're putting in those pads and tampons. And it's right by our uterus. And so I think those are some of the reasons um, that infertility is caused and some things that we just were not having conversations about and some of the shame in the the, the pieces that go around it. I know I went to a couple of different pieces that were kind of maybe tangents, but I just feel like they're really important for us to start having that discussion and fighting against those policies and things that are out there in the world that are causing um, people to suffer through infertility. And, and I can definitely, you know, relate to some of what you've experienced. Though, as I, as I said to you, I knew early on that pregnancy was going to be difficult for me. And and when you are in the church, you know, you do get lots of different, you know, oh, if, if God, you know, for me, it was the difference. It was for you. It was, oh, maybe it's not God's will, which is very hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was, you know, if God wants you to get pregnant, I'm like, well, he and I seem to be really good with this decision I've made to adopt. I don't know why y'all, I don't know why y'all want to get involved in my business with Jesus. I'm just saying, right. you know. So I, I know it, it can be very hard to hear those types of things. And talk a little bit more about, you know, you said your husband was really more on board, on board with let's just adopt. Do you think part of you was still feeling like, you know, I should be able to have a baby, or did you just really need time to kind of grieve that before yeah. you move to the next step? That's a great question. So um, I work with kids. And so I have tons of kids that were at my center that, you know, came from foster care. They were adopted. Some of them were still in foster care. So that part really didn't scare me because I knew that bringing a child into a very firm and um, loving household was going to be the best thing ever that we could give to a child. And they are going to give us love, give us, give us something in return too, just like creating that love, that family, that bond. And I, so I felt like one, I can bond with many kids and most kids. And so I wasn't too worried about that piece, but what I was worried most about was, am I trying to adopt a child to replace the children that I lost? And would I have certain expectations of them that were unrealistic because I was still in my pain? You know, um, my husband, he works at a, ho- a major hospital. And so he works with a lot of nurses and, you know, he's like, you know, all these nurses, you know, they've adopted kids and it's been great and they're doing so good and they love it. And, you know, it's just something I think we should really think about and we should do like, I'm down, let's go, you know? And for me, I was at that point, I hadn't even verbalized to many people that I wanted to be a mother. So that, that phrase, even for me to say, be able to say now 
was extremely hard. Like I would just make up stuff to basically make sure that people just leave me alone and stop talking to me about it. Um, but it was hard for me to say, you know what? I want to be a mother and I don't mind if motherhood comes through, um, birth or adoption. I don't care. Um, I had, I wasn't even at that point yet. So I felt like I couldn't bring a child into our household knowing that they would be coming into somebody that's unpredictable. And I really didn't know what they were going through at that point. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to come forward and, and what did it take for you to say, you know what, I'm going to be, you know, one of those people who puts it all out there um, and just tells, you know, my story and what my journey has been like when it comes to this. You know, um, it was crazy because COVID had just hit and um, my center was considered essential. So we stayed open and I was just like, you know what, I need to provide the best care possible because we had doctors and nurses um, at our center, their children there. Um, I wanted to do everything possible to keep everybody safe. And I'm in this full mode COVID, you know, um, operation. And I um, get a call from my dad and he's like, hey, I was like, hey, you sound sick. He's like, yeah, daddy's got a little cold. I'm okay. I was like, well, I'm going to come and see you after work. I want to make sure you're okay. And he was like, I don't want you to come over here because I don't want, if I'm sick with anything, I don't want you to get it and give it to the kids. And I said, well, I'm just going to stop by. So I, something just told me you need to stop by. So I go and see my dad and he looks kind of like sick, but he was just like, why don't you stand outside? And then I'll just talk to you through the door. And I said, okay. So, and he, it's like a glass door. So I could tell he's not feeling good. And I said, okay, well, let me know what you need, dad. I'm going to juice you some stuff and bring it to your house and, you know, get you some food and all that stuff. And he's like, okay, okay. So I come back the next day. He still doesn't look good. So, you know, I just, he just said, Hey, I want you to stay away for a bit because I don't know what's going on with me. And with COVID, I don't know what's going on, but I just will talk to you over the phone. And so, um, I called him maybe a couple days later and I could tell he wasn't feeling good. And he was just like, I'm going to go to the doctor. Don't worry about it. I said, okay. And my dad does this thing like where if he doesn't want to talk to you, he just stops answering your call and then he won't answer his door either. So... (laughs) He started avoiding me. And so I'm thinking in my head, he's probably got COVID or something crazy and he doesn't want anybody to know. So I'm like, you know, doing my thing. Week is a week has passed. And um, you know, he sent me kind of like text messages, whatever. I go to his house and he's lost like 10 pounds. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And he was like, oh, I'm just not feeling good. I don't want you in the house, though. And so I'm like, okay. Make a long story short, my dad um, was in two wars, and he was exposed to um, a chemical that actually mimics cancer. So my dad was told that he had, like, two weeks to live. And I started panicking because he was in the hospital. They would not let us go in the hospital with him. Um, he decided to kind of shut everybody off because he was like, I'm dying and I just can't, I can't tell my kids this, you know? Um, when he was in that hospital, Karen, I said to myself, I need to have my child before my dad dies. That was the first time 
that I had ever been so like adamant. Like my grandparents had passed, my dad's side, bo- both of his parents passed away before I before I was born. Um, and um, my grandmother and grandfather, they on my mother's side, they passed away when I was really young. And I just remember the times that I had with my mother's um, mother and father. And I just loved it so much. And I was like, I want that for my child. I want them to have that knowledge and those those memories of their, their grandparents. And it did something to me. Like I literally, I never take time off from work. I took three weeks off of work to take care of my dad once we found out what was wrong with him. And watching your parent shrivel away, like he lost like 45 pounds. He was literally like bones. Um, I was just so distraught by this and I just, it, it just tore me apart. And I sat and I talked to my husband and I said, I want to have a baby before my dad dies. And I want my baby to know who my dad is. And I was like, I need us to do this. And he looked at me and he said, let's, let's go get another doctor and let's see what they tell us to do. So I actually went out to another doctor in LA because I felt like the clinic that I was at was not treating me like as an individual patient. They didn't um, hear my concerns. They were just kind of treating me like a number. And I got to this doctor in LA. We did our first Zoom call and she says, you are not a candidate for IVF right now. You have, you, there's so much stuff you can do and you haven't done it. And she looks at me and she says, the biggest thing that you're going to need to do is quit your job. And she was like, you are under a lot of stress. You're not going to be able to hold your baby. And my husband, after we got off that call, he said, we'll make a plan. We'll figure it out. And I want you to leave your job because we want to have this baby. And, um, and I went to my boss and I was, you know, didn't want to do it and was crying. And I said to her, I want to have this child so bad. And I said, and I can't do it working here because I'm too stressed out. And, you know, she's crying, I'm crying. And she said, this is the first time I've ever heard you vocalize that you wanted a baby out of all the years that you've been here. And that is when I realized I wanted to have a child and I was not afraid to vocalize it because I knew that I didn't have much time possibly. And what do you think in terms of taking back some of that power? How did it make you feel to, to actually go ahead and say it out loud? You know what? I want to have a baby. I, I, I want to be a mom and I want to try to be a mom by having a biological child. You know, once oh, you were able to really put it into words, yeah. how did it feel? Um, it felt actually scary <laughs> because... <laughs> When you tell yourself a story for so long and then you change that narrative, it gets real. Like, um, it just makes you realize that the things that you've been telling yourself, they're not true. They're not real. And this, what you're saying now is actually the truth. And this is real. And so I had to look at those words, not just, or listen to those words, not just, um, with my ears. I felt like I had to take those words and put them on paper. And I even started just using artwork and I just have like a art wall. That's like a vision wall that focuses on fertility. And I was like, I'm going to use, I'm going to match my speech with the, with these, these images. 
And um, I just had a lot of images through my house. I still have them in my house um, that focus on fertility. But that power didn't really come until after I left my job. And I realized that you're doing this because you want your baby to come into a safe and healthy situation. So you're already activating yourself as a mother. Thank you so much. So I I can imagine that at first, you know, to say out loud what you haven't been willing to tell yourself, even internally, Mm -hmm. um, had to perhaps be scary before you found the the power in that. And so how are you now? So how long ago was that, that you made that decision? And, and oh my goodness. So I left my job in June, um, begin end of May, end of May, beginning of June. And, um, I just actually finished my fourth procedure, um, of IUI and, uh, we're planning to move to IVF. Um, but, um, right now I'm actually in a waiting, um, period to, um, see if the, um, procedure actually fully worked and see where I'm at. Um, I am super positive. This is probably the best, um, portion of my procedure that I've done ever. Um, my levels are really good. I am very happy that I decided to leave my job because I feel like my body even feels different. Um, a couple other things I did differently too. I went and got a nutritionist that focuses on eating to your um, native diet. Um, and her name is Darnell Barlow and absolutely amazing. And um, she focuses mainly on native dishes, but um, she has been a huge help in my life. And I'm still working with my acupuncturist. And um, we actually increased my days uh, for acupuncture. And so I, I just, I, I'm right now I'm in the clear, um, for where they want me to be. And so, um, I'll be knowing kind of where I'm at with, uh, pregnancy, I feel like, um, in, in the next couple weeks. And how do you stay? What do you do? You know, what do you tell women who are on this road and they're having trouble maintaining that positivity that this, that this is going to, to work, that they, you know, will be able to, to get through it. Um, one of the things that I always tell people is you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to do? And that is a hard thing because my husband and I, we only had a little bit of time to pay off a ton of stuff, uh, make huge sacrifices so that we could have me not work. Um, I feel like if you are going to do this, you have to sit down with your spouse and make a plan Um, because it's going to be both of you on this journey. And it can be very difficult when one person feels like they're taking all the burden on. Um, At one point, you know, feeling like I have to go to this doctor's appointment and this doctor's appointment, I have to eat like this. And you become very resentful uh, for me, I would I would get frustrated and even cry because I didn't want to go to acupuncture. I didn't want to go and eat certain things because you just get tired of it. You know, it just becomes so heavy. Um, so one, get with an acupuncturist. Get with somebody that can help you figure out where you are. Um, even though I talked about reading the tongue, uh, one of the things that we did, we did a Dutch test. 
And um, she found out what my stress levels were. She found out that I was very close uh, post-menopause. Um, my estrogen was way too high. Uh, progesterone levels were so low. Um, and a lot of acupuncturists, they are medical doctors and they can prescribe medication to you. Um, so find an acupuncturist. I tell people all the time, get a nutritionist because a lot of times we're kind of trying to guess with our diet um, and at least finding somebody that can help you navigate that. I think that's really important. Um, make sure that you find a doctor that you can trust and you can connect with. Um, that was something that was really hard for me on my journey as well, is I didn't have a doctor, an OB that I really trusted and really connected with. I actually just found an OB finally um, that has been just so amazing. And she is a petitioner for me. And that is a huge thing because I struggled with being vocal on what I needed. Um, but as I've gotten more diverse in this area and learning about how to petition yourself, petition for yourself. Um, that's something I've been really, 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 really vocal about. Um, the, the next thing I would say is look at your home and see what's in it. Um, there's a lot of times where we have a lot of toxics and things like that, um, in our home, we're using on our bodies, um, really taking that time to strip down everything that's in your house and um, to really change some of those products that could actually be causing um, infertility or making it really hard for you to get pregnant from your um, your pads, your tampons, to the soaps that you put on your body, lotions, makeup even, which is really hard. Um, those pieces can be really difficult to give up and change, but it was something that I felt like I needed to do um, to help my body be more pure and take out all the stress you can in your life. That's what I would say. Take out as much stress, anything that's giving you stress, try to take it out your life <laughs> because if you don't, it's just going to make things more difficult. And just sometimes some women, they can go through tons of stuff and they're fine. They get pregnant, but there's other women, their bodies are under so much stress. They can't even function. And that's kind of where I was at, where, you know, um, I just knew that there was an issue. Um, and, you know, I want to just throw this in here, my last tip, uh, get your gut, get your gut checked. Um, there's a lot of people that have unhealthy guts and your gut actually plays a huge part in your fertility as well. Um, that's something I just learned towards the end of my, um, my treatments that I just did. And I went and got a gut test and they were like, you know, your digestion, all those different things, they play a huge role in how your adrenals work. And if your kidneys are working harder with certain things or not breaking down certain vitamins and nutrition that you're using, um, that can be a thing. And so, you know, you're taking all these pills, but you're not getting actually any other nutrition because your gut is so unhealthy. So. Thank you. I'm sure that um, a lot of women can resonate with what you're talking about, having to really do a lot of research to figure out um, how you can really better those chances mm -hmm. um, of being able to have uh, to get pregnant and have a successful pregnancy at that. Do you ever finally do you ever allow yourself to think, what if all of this doesn't work? Or do you say that, you know, that's a space that you just can't go to? You have to stay in the moment. Ah, this is such a good question. Um, so when I decided to quit my job and I went through this whole process, 
I told myself that if the end of the day, this didn't work, I know I'm a better person health-wise overall. Even if you don't give birth to a child, you want to be your best. You want to be healthy and be at a place where you can take that child and just love them through whatever that they're going to go through in life. You know, Um, there's no picture perfect method. There's no secret sauce to fertility. Everybody's so different. Everybody needs something different. Um, But if I never have a child biologically, I know that I have a child in this world that is meant for me and my husband And we are so excited to give them all the love, all the opportunity, and to build so many memories with them. You know, Um, I just think that life is meant to be a certain way, and I don't know what life is going to be like, but I am so open to it. I am embracing every piece of it. Every morning, I say different affirmations to remind myself that a baby does not make me. A child does not make me. Being a holding a baby in my stomach does not make me. It does not define me as a mother. Everything I'm doing now to better myself mentally, physically is what's going to make me a better mother for the child that is meant to be in my life and my husband's life. And so I remind myself every day that not having a child is not an option. But what is an option is how we decide to have that child. I think that is a beautiful way to look at it. You know, as you know, adoption was my road to becoming a mom. And it is so true that the child that is for you, you know, the children that I have are the ones that God wanted me to have the way he Mm -hmm. wanted me to have them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am as certain of that as I am of my own name. So um, that is a very, very good way to look at it, you know, that all that you're doing is just going to make you a better mom for whatever baby you have, however you have that child. Um, Mm -hmm. And I hope that other women listening can hear that. I think we talked about that some when um, I was on your show that I hope women are able to do what you're doing. And that is to just be open to however motherhood comes to you Mm -hmm. Um, because there are so many different ways to do. And I guess that's what always broke my heart is when, you know, women felt like because they couldn't get pregnant, it meant that, you know, they weren't meant to be a mom. The God mm-hmm. didn't want them to be a mother. And it breaks my heart to hear that. So um, I'm just really, I really admire you for the um, way you've been able to look at it and to really yeah. uh, plow through this. And uh, good luck to you and your husband. Um, yes. Whatever yes, way you yes. guys become parents. I'm excited for you, whichever <laughs> way it comes. I am excited for you. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank this you. A really great conversation. I'm excited you were able to take my invitation as I did yours. And so tell them a little bit about, before we go, your podcast and where they can find The Learning Project. Yes, yes. You can go to www.tlptraining.com. That is my main website. Um, Also, you can check us out on Facebook. Um, You could type in The Learning Project um, or you can do um, at TLP support. That is also another way that you can find us on Facebook. Um, We also have an Instagram as well. Um, And I am active on LinkedIn as well. Um, I do quite a bit of things on there. And so you guys can check us out any of of those places. Um, My podcast is also called The Learning Project. And um, we're found on Anchor, Spotify, all of those main 
podcast shows. So you can um, definitely connect with me um, on any of those platforms. Great. I'll be sure to put that information in the show notes. That is all the time we have for today. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Again, that is kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. That's all the time we have for today's show. So until our next episode, be blessed.